back, guys, to another episode of Business from the Bass Boat on the Serious Angler Network, powered by X2 Power. And guys, today's show I'm very excited for. I'm actually about to be in his neck of the woods, as a matter of fact. I have never spent any time. It's a part of the country I've always been super interested in, but that kind of that Northwest, and we're talking the the birthplace of Brandon Polinick, the guy that uh, has done so much in this industry, but headed up to Coeur d'Alene uh, this next week and Ponderay for a uh, ABA championship. We'll see if he's going to fish that here, but who we've got on, we had on way back when we first started business from the bass boat is Jake Boomer with Alpha Angler. And we're going to talk a whole bunch of things today, but I'm excited to get his kind of mindset and everything that he's gone throughout that national scale, which fishing out on the NPFL and everything else he does running a company on the side, by the way. Um, so excited to get him on and just talk about kind of the state of the industry and what uh, what we've got in store for the future when it comes to tournament fishing. Boomer, how are you, man? Hey, man, how are you? I'm great. I'm good. I'm good. I can't complain too much anyway. Um, you know, weather starting to cool off. Should be uh, should be some some good bites happening here any minute. Yeah, fall fishing. I'd like I me mean, for me, fall fishing in the northwest is my favorite. The sweatshirt in the morning, you gotta have your bibs on a little bit, warms up. Yeah. Dude. Up here, all of our championship tournaments, a lot like at a lot of other places, they're in the fall. So you just remember that grind you got through the year, and then you've got like all the money is on the line. You can win a boat. It's it's uh angler of the years have yet generally been locked up, but winning the boat's the big deal. You want to win a boat up here. Yeah, and that's I mean that's what's wild to me is something that I've been thinking about recently is like at the grassroots and lower level. I mean, even Toyota series opens everything except that top tier pro level. Most circuits are, are run into that fall. And like you said, your championship is always fall fishing related. And then the people who make it to that top elite series level, PPT level, NPFL, like generally those schedules are done by the, by the time that fall timeframe hits. And it's like very interesting to me because you have all this stuff that like rolls into the end of the year, but then at that top, top tier, it's not that way. Yeah. I, th the, I think the analogy they have is all of the lower level, level tiers um, where you're kind of like, a, for instance, like your um, the Bassmaster team championship. So you can yep. qualify through that. Um I think that the Costa Championship this year, or what is Toyota the Series? But yeah, Toyota Series Championship. All of that stuff is generally later in the year to because uh, the bigger circuits are finishing their regular seasons. And so mm. I, I remember, like the when I first got started, the bug that got me out of fishing regionally was that Bassmaster Team Championship. We made that a couple of years in a. We made that. I think we made that event twice. They were always in December. Yep. And like trying to figure out how to travel across the country with the snow and the ice and everything else. You know what I mean? Like there was always such a logistical nightmare, but those bigger events are fall based events for the other side of the country. Ours just start a little earlier because we get colder, Cool, yeah. colder, faster. You know what I mean? Sure. No, the team series. Uh, so I made that last year, the Bassmaster team series championship. And so that was down on Ufala in Alabama. And, um, man, it's crazy. There's so many boats in that now it's like 350 boats, you know, something yeah. just, it's just like, my gosh, it's a, it's a lot of, and it's like you said, it's always in December. And unfortunately for you and I, because it's in December, it's generally way Southeast. I mean, it is like <laughs> always in Florida, Alabama this year, it's at Hartwell, 
um, have a couple of buddies fishing that this year. So it's, uh, it's like you said, that kind of way at the end of the year type of a deal, but a, a cool event for sure. Yeah. I'm, I think that's pretty cool that they did that because a lot of regions around the country, we just have team tournaments. Um, Northwest is a great example. We have one pro-am a year at a higher level. There, I mean, we have our qualifiers for state teams and stuff like that, but sure. we don't have a pro-am series. Like the closest pro-am circuit is the Wild West and the Apex Tour for us. Um, mm-hmm. And that the closest event they do to me is 12 hours away. So mm-hmm. we have a really competitive – I mean, the best anglers in the country, but they're team-based up here. So when they, when they put that together – uh, I think it was a pretty cool opportunity. Everybody was clamoring to get it. We got it one year. It was pretty fun to be part of. And it gave me the bug to be like, hey, traveling around is pretty cool. That's that the, the little the first carrot that gets you when you start rolling down the hill, <laughs> you know, jumping Dude, in head first. For sure. For sure, man. And, and let's let's dig into, I guess, your last couple of years here running Alpha Angler. And then making this step into fishing at a national scale and some of your experiences, how your year is gone. And then we'll kind of dig into to what we're looking at next year. Yeah. I mean, where do you start? I'm like everybody else. Like um, I kind of got the bug. You end up spending a lot of time doing it. The one thing I had going for me was, um, and I didn't know this uh, then, but I know it now, but I had started alpha angler. And it was just kind of because I loved the, being part of fishing and that you could um, – the cool thing about bass fishing, especially competitive bass fishing, is you can make your own jigs. You can make your own stuff, right? It's the one sport where anybody can contribute, build, do whatever they want to do. So I had made Alpha Angler – it started Alpha Angler years ago just as a small custom rod company. And um, as I – like I said, I went to the, that bass team championship and got the bug to fish more and started doing Costas and wanted to branch out of the Northwest – um, I took Alpha National as a way to kind of get away from a full-time job and have more time to fish, right? Mm-hmm. So looking at that then, that seemed like that was just kind of a fit because it was already running. Looking at it now with the state of our industry, I feel like a guy like me who has who didn't start with nothing, no side, I call it, it's not baggage, but the yeah. guys that are coming out of college with nothing else, right? They, they don't have a home. They don't have a mortgage. They don't have family. They don't have kids and they want to do it. It's a lot easier for them to live out of the back of their truck or, you know what I mean? They're not taking anything away from anybody. Yeah. Whereas like a guy that's, uh, you know, he's got kids and a wife and stuff like that. You've got to find a way to still provide for the family, stay in the industry, but have these crazy schedules, these tra- crazy travel schedules. And um, so I call it the side hustle. Like if, like if a guy like me wants to make it, you kind of have to have a side hustle where you're you're able to create revenue doing what you do. You know, I mean, like telling your story about traveling across the country or your interactions with people that help make fishing rods. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that feeds into the fact that I'm out tournament fishing. Right. They kind of feed each other, but you got to mm-hmm. have it. It's really hard to self-fund uh, this sport, especially right now, I think. Yeah. So Alpha I'm, Angler was, is my side hustle. Sorry to interrupt, but it was no. kind of my side hustle, but it was on accident, right? I didn't know. I didn't you know didn't that know. I needed it as, yeah. You didn't know that was the route you were going to take. And that's yeah. uh, my viewpoint on all of this right now. Same, same kind of deal. And after jumping out and going just from like real localized in Colorado fishing team stuff to then, okay, fish a division of the Toyota series. And then just, just little branches here and there 
ABA championships traveling somewhere far, you know, college fishing got to experience some of that travel stuff. But when it's your money, when it's not fundraised money and stuff uh, with the college stuff, we try to do a really good job there. But yeah, I mean, to me, there's, there's two routes to make it. If you are not one of the one percenters, I'm not, I'm talking, if you're not one of these guys that it, in my opinion, the untouchables out there, um, I think it's either, like you said, right in your early twenties and you're willing to go through that grind and you are giving up a lot to do that. Remember for your potential future earnings and all this stuff, but like, that's your dream, go get it. It's okay to live out of the back of your truck. You can go do that. And no one else is relying on you or it's do it with a business. That's the most successful way that I've seen personally, or the part that I've been comfortable with is someone who has a business that is able to then build a system in place back home with their business where they can step away and go do this stuff for your nine, six to nine tournaments a year, but then weeks of travel. I mean, it's not just those tournament weeks. And then um, those are the two routes. Like to me, like it's, it's just too expensive to not have something coming in. Or like you said, the very high end would be just someone who's independently wealthy and doing this, um, you know, maybe later on in life to where this is what they're chasing. They sold their business, that kind of a thing. But like, that's it in my eyes. And that's, uh, and that's just the, the brutal truth to it. And I think that that's just the, the mindset you have to have is okay, figure out which route of those works for you and then go for it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The first year I did the opens, um, I think it was in 18. Mm-hmm. I jumped into the opens just like, I know, you know, you know, you're not ready, but the only way to get ready is to grind, right. To dive in head first. You know what I mean? So I jumped to the opens and I had a cool travel partner. Uh, my buddy Brandon was fishing all that stuff. And I remember after like the first beating and it was a beating, like a good one. <laughs> he, I remember looking at me and he's like, dude, he said, he, I, we even recorded it. It's on film. He said, uh, what did he say? He said, you got to love this sport so much that you can't live without it. Otherwise it's going to eat you to death. And then he had to slow down and say like, to the point that you can't live without it. Like, a lot of people don't love something so much they can't live without it. You know what I mean? Oh, but it will. I mean, like the da- the lows and the highs in the sport are so crazy. And and I think the the grind is the craziest. I think what I've learned over the last three years, of, uh, it's not a glamorous deal grinding it out. You know what I mean? It's the travel, especially for me. You know, we're so far away. And you, you got it too. Colorado's not much closer, but mm. you grind, man. It's a lot of time in the truck. And like I was telling you, but when we were off camera, I, there's, I've spent uh, three different times on the side of the road this year. You know, I got ran off the road once I, you know, I changed a flat tire on the busiest freeway in South Carolina. Like it's not, it's not all like when people like, I want to be a professional fisherman. They just see the weigh-ins. Everybody always says that, but right. I think the hardest part is like, is like uh, keeping some type of sanity when you're traveling so much, you know, like I've got a little camper when I travel, yeah. And so I have to use the public campground showers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like the biggest thing, like we always talk about is like, what's the campground shower going to be like here? You know what I mean? Oh like, yeah. Is this a flip flop shower? Is this, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. The yeah, grind. I mean, is this one of those ones where you keep your flip flops on and hope for the best? Is it going to have hot water? The grind. <laughs> <laughs> I have taken some cold showers for sure. I camp a yeah. lot too in the, in the truck topper and uh, yeah, always have, Always have the flip flops uh, in the back of the truck for going into camp, camp, uh, campsite showers. No doubt. Shower flops, gotta have them. Gotta have them. Dang man, I mean, yeah, and I think the the grind is is like you're saying the big part, and I think the other side too that um, I didn't realize until I got into this is like 
when you start throwing a lot of money around and you also have another responsibility, in my case, independent contracting for the company I'm working for, and it's like dealing with clients and dealing with all this stuff while you're fishing makes it very hard. And that, that mental toll, I think is a, is a tough deal. And it's like, take a step back in my eyes and like, all right, figure out a system to where you're not having to worry about that day to day. And some of that stuff that uh, is also on your mind while you're trying to then think through decisions and all that stuff on the lane. Yeah. I think, um, so like, just like I was telling you before we, we got on it, this is a great time to interview somebody who's had a pretty much a horrible year, right? Like we, in podcasts and in the media that surrounds this sport, you very rarely interview the guy that just had a bad year. You might, he might get a little clip here, a little there, but um, this is a great opportunity because this is the last thing I want to talk about is my season. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's funny because I had, I've got moments of great fishing where I qualified for the apex series on series on the West coast. And um, which isn't really regional for me. I'm, you know, I kind of, I'm super, um, and a lot of anglers are, I'm super, I'm really hard on myself. I'm like, well, that was, you did good on the West coast, but that's regional. But the truth is, is that the closest tournament I did at home was the Columbia river. The rest of them were 14 to 16 hours away, but but I, I did fish well in those environments but I fish really poorly in other ones. And then, you, you know, you kind of being somewhat trying to figure out what that is. But the one thing I've realized about this sport is the guys that are making it through that are, that get through this process, you're either like Jacob Wheeler or you're the rest of us that earn it. You know, you, you, yep. you just keep plugging away. You have a lot of losses, but they, they equal learning experiences is you have to learn how to be uncomfortable on the water and that's comfortable on it. And I'll give you an example. Like, you have to be willing to go do something that wasn't part of your plan. Cause that's the evolution of that day. And it's really comfortable to sit and do what worked in practice or whatever else being uncomfortable going, Hey, listen, I'm going to actually bail on this and go look for something else or go do something else. Uh, you have to have an open mind to want to do that. And I feel like when you have a lot of outside pressures, it's really hard to want to be uncomfortable. It feels good to be comfortable. And, and I'll give you an example. Another one, like when I was at Lake Erie, I had an amazing practice. I had 22, 23 pounds. I mean, I had a, a media guy with me during my practice day. We, we were catching them. Um, everything I was doing seemed to make sense. Uh, but going into the tournament, as things changed, and I didn't know, like, you know, the, the impacts of the outside pressures that I had been dealing with, it was really tunnel vision, which, which is everybody talks. And, like, you read all the articles, you're like, what's tunnel vision? You know, because they always talk about it. The sophomore slump has tunnel vision. You listen to the out, like what would should be happening instead of just kind of going with your gut. Or like Paul Nick always says, having limbic brain, which is very open mindedness. Yeah. Um, you get really comfortable in tunnel vision. So you're like you're fishing along. I'm fishing along. What I'm doing feels really good. It feels like I'm executing the casts well. I'm in the right areas. Blah blah blah. But the truth is, I was sucking. I wasn't catching any bass, right? The uncomfortable mm-hmm. thing for me would have been to abandon that whole practice and go do something completely different. And and that was something that I just really didn't have the open mind to do. You know, I sat it out and stunk it up. I feel like that open-mindedness comes with a comfort that's outside of that particular tournament day. It's being comfortable mm-hmm. that you're there. You don't miss the family. You know what I mean? Work stuff isn't impinging on the things, the decisions you're making. I feel like this year has had more of that than, than any of my prior years. Last year was just easy. It was the first year and um, I didn't have the concerns I have now. And so some of those things were a lot easier. Sure. 
No, well, thanks for sharing that, man. I think that's huge to, uh, like you said, after a rough season to come on and talk about it because let's face it, everyone, everyone has a rough season for the most part, not those very few guys, but um, that is uh, <laughs> yeah, Polinick, Wheeler, like name, name your, you know, there's, there's plenty of them. Jason Christie, like there's some guys who just like, like you said, they're wolves, man. And yeah. like outside of that, it's earning it. And it's a long road to earn it and get there. And um, you have to want it uh, that entire time. And then I think too, it's just figuring out, like you said, that is, the mindset I think is a huge thing that um, is not talked about enough when it comes to tournament fishing and being comfortable because if your mind's not right, man, it's, it's hard to make the decisions you need in a tournament day to, uh, to succeed. Yeah. So I get it because I'm in the industry on both sides of it. Right. So I, um, I, I need sponsors to stay on the water, but I also sponsor anglers to stay on the water. Right. So I have this, it's the side hustle we were talking about. I have this yeah. side hustle that allows me to do this. Um, the benefit for me is I'm big into psychology and some of the math that goes, you know, if Rick Clun was one of the first to ever really put cycle analysis into bass fishing, maybe not at that, you know, cycle analysis, but you know what I mean? He really talked about yeah. the environments. And um, so I actually had a sports psychologist that worked with me for the first couple of years. We're doing this kind of as, I think he saw me as a project. <laughs> I think, I think my wife sees me as a project, you know what I mean? But, <laughs> and I'm comfortable with that, but yeah, uh, but a lot of that, the, the math to all of that stuff, you can look at it. Even like the sophomore slump, in, in my opinion, is a is based off of a lot of the externals. But I also think it's uh, a lot of it comes down to uh, cycle, you know, psychology, the way we approach these tournaments and the pressures that we feel in the sport. And we could talk about it later. I feel like um, the, there's a lot of pressure to stay in the sport. It's really easy at first when you still have your job and you can still steal away and go do a tournament. But when you dive head first, when you say, this is what I'm doing and nine, 10 weeks out of the year, you're going to be on the road. Um, you make an adjust. A lot of people are forced to make an adjustment that I feel really weighs after a little while. You're right. Like you said, like how much of my retirement am I giving away? Cause I'm not sticking this $50,000 of entry fees into a retirement account. You know what right. I mean? Like why, what, what, what am I really giving up? And I think, uh, I'm getting there. I think dealing with that mentally is a big deal, but even, and I'll go, I'll take a step back. I researched a lot of these pro anglers in their, in their seasons. And a lot of them actually do have a sophomore slump. And I, and I don't, you don't know, I don't know why a lot of them, I feel like come down to a lot of the similar things, but even Polinick did. If you remember, Polinick didn't qualify for the classic his second year until he won the thousand islands or St. Lawrence. Right. He's just the kind of guy that could do that. But a lot of guys do. They they do. Yeah, he's crazy good. Yeah. A lot of guys can do that. Um, you know, they deal with that, and then they learn more about themselves and what they need to be successful. And then they go into their third year, and they they either dig it out and learn how to do it, mm-hmm. or they struggle a little bit longer. Yeah, I had a, I got a great story. The second, the first Costa Championship I did on Kentucky Lake, I had a retired kind of. He had kind of gotten out of the elite levels, of, and I won't say his name, but. He was fishing as a co-angler and he just liked Kentucky Lake. He made the Coastal Championship as a co-angler. And I remember he got in the boat and I'm like, man, you're an elite, you're an old elite pro. I'm like, you're a man. It was yeah. cool because I remember reading about some of his tournament wins in like the early 2000s. And, I, and you, you could tell he didn't think much of my skills. And at the time I didn't have, I mean, I was just, I was not very, I was still learning a lot to learn. And he yeah. made this comment. He goes, I've seen, what he say? He said, I've seen tournament anglers 
get it. And he goes, and I've seen really bad anglers stay with it and eventually become really good anglers. You know what I mean? He was kind of making this comment like, you listen, kid, you're you got, stick with it. <laughs> you can, if you stick with it, you can be good, <laughs> but you got a ways. He goes, I've, yeah. And I don't know if he was trying to give me a glimmer of hope, but he didn't think very highly of my fishing day. And he was like, I've seen really bad tournament anglers. They stick it out and they actually become really good tournament anglers. And I was like, this yeah, isn't man. a compliment, but he, I knew where he was going with it. But in his, in, in his defense, I was fishing horrible that day. I had a, a horrible plan and I executed it poorly. It was one of those days. Yeah. Oh, well. We've all had those for sure. And I think that's so true. I mean, like, man, there's, 10,000 hours, man, or, or whatever you live by with that. It's like the amount of time, like you can't not get good doing it so, so much, right. you know? And, uh, that's so true. And if you love it, like keep at it. And man, I, so national scale going to that NPFL level after the opens and now you're, now you're full on npfl full schedule a lot of them are east i was hoping that eventually some stuff would come back west doesn't necessarily seem that way um how much are are you are you leaving your boat places almost all the time and then just coming back to work with alpha angler and work and see the family and all that kind of stuff and then flying back what's kind of your travel been like yeah um this is pretty crazy so to pull this off um the first year of the opens I drove back and forth, but I only had three events, three or four events. I think I did. Um, and then when we started the MPFL, me and my travel partner decided we were just going to fly back and forth and find places to leave our trucks because uh, it's just, it was too much. It's sure. wear and tear on your truck and your everything, you know, all that stuff. And so even last year to pull this off, I had to go buy another truck for when I'm back at home. Wow. Um, so <clears throat> yes, I leave my truck at a location, which is awesome. The cool thing about my experience so far is I've made so many friends, you know, it's always kind of fun to go back to a region and catch up with little friends and drop all my crap off and then catch yeah, a flight man. home to see the girls. And, and then, you know, you just, you can't thank them enough because generally you leave this do, an ugly dually truck at a boat sitting in there with an ugly camper sitting in their, <laughs> in their driveway for two months. But yeah. Um, but this year um, kind of to, I got really aggressive in my goals. And so I decided I wanted to qualify for the apex and the uh, new bass master, the bass West coast shootout that Rick Pierce is putting on. Yep. So that's next year. He's trying to really bring um, some notoriety and a lot more fishing exposure to the West coast. So he's putting on this huge tournament and they're yep. taking the 50, they're taking 50 guys out of the West coast. And there was a couple of qualification routes. So to pull that off, I actually had to borrow a boat at home. Mm-hmm. I left all my stuff in, you know, we're over Tennessee quite a bit. Nice uh, thing is you don't friend, have to worry about rods, man. You can, uh, you got enough rods yeah. probably laying around. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> go on. I, I had a good <laughs> joke about that though. Like if you looked at the rods in my boat right now, I'd be afraid to show anybody. Like, I, really? you know, like the mechanic that doesn't have a working car. That's yep, me. Like always. I get all the hand-me-down stuff. I got like oh, no. all my stuff's all beat up. <laughs> stuff that Brandon broke and I had to fix, you know, cause I'm so... I don't want to take inventory out of, uh, you know, things that we could sell. So I'm always super careful. But right now with both my, with all my stuff at home, yeah, I got a lot of stuff. Yeah. So anyways, I'd leave my boat over there. So I ended up having to buy a truck and borrow a boat from one of my sponsors to fish the Apex and all, all not Apex, but Wild West over here to, for that qualifier. Yep. So that's, a, there's a huge toll to that, you know, you're managing so much. Um, you just, you just a lot more maintenance. The, yeah. the MPFL, the cool thing that they did was they spaced their tournament tournaments out uh, one a month. 
Because mm-hmm. what they really want to do is th- to cater to that niche of that guy that's not willing to give up his whole life yep. and give up his job, but still wants to compete at a high level. So they're doing these tournaments where you can fish one week out of a month and they try to stay somewhat regional to the East coast. That's mm-hmm. perfect for those guys over there. It's, 100%. It doesn't work for me. Right. Cause yeah. it'd be better if they back the back them and I could just jam two events in and then I could drive yeah. home. Doing the, what kind of the elite series. I, I thought that's been interesting the last couple of years of how they've done, you know, two or three back to back events you know, where yes. it's literally week to week. And a lot of guys have been receptive of that. They've been like, it's awesome. I'm grinding. It's go time. Like lakes another two or three hours away and uh, roll into the next one. And then have more time with the family and to prepare and deal sponsor stuff outside. Yep. No. And I, if I lived over there, I think it would work perfect. Cause you're eight hours from home. You just, a lot of those events, some of those guys have a 12 or 13 hour drive. My next event is 41 hours from the house. So oh gosh <laughs> you know what i mean like it, it you just you, you kind of got a plan for it so a little bit more logistics go into it but it's worth it because you love it right you're just passionate mm-hmm. about sport and so but yeah this year has been a grind it's been the fuel price is hitting in the middle of july it cost me almost like 1400 dollars to drive home from lake erie just in diesel alone you know what i mean so you start having to manage that with the overhead of you know if you don't cash a few checks if you have a couple bad events those things start to weigh on you. You still got to play that game. And that's where I was talking about where those pressures start to build up that even if you don't think they're affecting you at that moment, I feel like they take away your open-mindedness when you actually need it. You know, I feel like it's easy to be comfortable zoning out on the water, but you can't zone out on the water. It's kind of like if you have a really couple bad days at work, guys like to go home and they just watch football. It feels good. It's comfortable. They get in that comfort zone. We can do that as anglers, right? You get into the fact that, hey, man, I just like to flip a jig. You know what I mean? I, and I'm on the water. I'm in this tournament. Inner, the pressures yeah. have gone away because I have really taken my focus. And I just want to do good fishing today. And I just get comfortable. And it's like watching football, man, just flipping a jig. The problem with that is, is that tournament bass angling doesn't work that way. You have to you have to want to be somewhat uncomfortable. You have to want to be trying something that may not fit because so, so many so many things change throughout the given day that if you're not actually kind of loose about what you're doing next or – you know, if you ever watch like Brandon or some of those guys on the water, they'll be fishing a tree over here and they'll look over to the right and they'll be like, you know, I think there might be, you know, a rock out there. You know what I mean? Maybe I'll go crank that rock. You know what I mean? A lot of us, if you get tunnel vision, if you get comfortable on the water, you'll go right by that rock and it's not even there. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I feel like the end of my season's kind of been where you just kind of, you just kind of miss the obvious staying so focused that you're not open-minded. I feel like that is kind of the the hitch of our, the hard part of our industry. And I feel like, and we talked about this and one of the reasons I think we talked earlier today, I feel like that's the hardest part about where we're at as in our industry now is for guys that are trying to get to the top and kind of with this, maybe this looming recession that everybody's talking about how hard it is for an angler to want to give up his job to go to the next level versus staying where they're at. I think that's going to make things really complex. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, something that I've been battling with, is like what to me the market is going to always always be the guiding light and that's in anything but just as far as in in, in our market specifically tournament anglers where are they going to go with all these changes we've got a bunch of changes in bassmaster opens being you have to fish all nine now the tack warehouse pro circuit 
taken away a championship and it's this new invitational thing that's really to try and get you to the BPT. So you have all these things going. And at the end of the day, the market's going to decide. And a factor in that is the idea of this, in my opinion, this looming recession and, you know, fuel prices are really high. You see all this stuff. It's like how, how many of these guys that are quote unquote doing this professionally side gigging, having to do that type of thing, how many guys are going to actually pursue to that next level? And then also where, you know, do we have too much going on for that top, top tier guy? Uh, it's just kind of a, it, it's something that I've been wrestling with a lot. It's like, where are guys going to go? And I don't know why I want to know why that is. And they're not going to know until after halfway through the season next year. But it's just, it's interesting because there's so many options right now in the tournament fishing world. And I think that part of that was maybe because the economy was booming so 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 well there that it was like hey we can we can do this we can crank this stuff out um and there's you know record numbers of boats in the opens there's record numbers of boats in the toyota series you see all this stuff i just wonder how much of this is gonna come back during this time frame or if it is at all yeah i mean i think it's a really good question i think the conversation every conversation i've had like industry-wise as like the president of alpha angler not the angler mm -hmm. not the fisherman but the president has been about uh, the impacts of the risk, you know, a recessive type nature to any company. The first thing they pull back is marketing every time. Sure. And so um, I personally don't believe that a ton of these anglers that are trying to get to the top live on marketing dollars. You know, that whole, like, how do I get sponsors conversation? Sure. I think I hope anybody watching this that wants to take the next level already understands that a lot of these guys aren't, aren't going to these events on sponsor, sponsor dollars. They're not paying their mortgage and living in the opens on sponsor dollars. You know what I mean? If you really look deeply, you'll see a lot of those guys have a side gig, you know, or they work for another company or like you said, independently wealthy, or they have a cool job that allows them to do it. But just quitting your job and going on the road is a really, really tough. It, it's really tough in our industry to get enough money promoting other brands while you're in this pool of anglers clamoring to the top. And and, and if you think about our industry too, uh, where all the sponsor money goes, it's not just tournament anglers, right? I mean, think of the, you know, if you sell fishing rods, like I want to, I want to support tournament anglers. Cause I feel, I, I understand tournament anglers. I understand the sure. grind of tournament fishing, but kayak angling is awesome too. Like, oh, I think yeah. that's amazing. I'd love, I want to support the kayak anglers because I love that this sport has gone that direction that you don't have to have a hundred thousand dollar boat. You want to support, you know, the YouTubers and this kids like that, that are creating content that resonates with another market. They're also taking a piece of that sponsor dollar pie. And so unless you have a really unique story or you really fit into some niche where a sponsor wants to help pay for a lot of stuff, I think we're kind of spread thin in that. Take a little bit of a recessive nature, nature to that. It's really hard to say, ah, I mean, you should go out and start sending letters. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying, I don't think it's, I think a lot of people, especially when we, where we've gotten to where we're at, a lot of people realize that you you kind of have to have something on the side to to pay. I mean, just this year alone, fishing MPFL, it's just MPFL. All have sunk about forty five thousand mm -hmm. dollars in just into staying on the road for MPFL. Uh, if you think about that, and then adding, you know, and then I did two other circuits and qualified for a state team. Those costs get pretty high. If you have a mortgage at home, you know what I mean. You know, if you have like any basic, any basic living expenses, right? So, but.
But there's two things that I noticed about the changes going on in the in in our industry for the guys trying to get to the top, mm-hmm. like the opens debacle. If you don't mind, if I tell we talk about it, let's go. There was a bunch of people really upset about the route the opens took, where sure. they they eliminated the opportunity for a guy to fish three events and make the elites. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's two sides of that story. But what really it comes down to is when they had it the old way, you could keep your job, pay your mortgage. And then if you made the elites, you could make the switch, you know, whatever it took. You know what I mean? A lot of people didn't do it well. And that's why the guys that run Bassmaster were saying, hey, listen, we had a lot of these guys come in and go broke. And then they leave and they leave with nothing there. You you almost have to switch your life over so that you can afford nine to ten weeks on the road and still have some, you know, some type of life. However, that is a lot of the guys that really liked the switch to nine opens to qualify for the elites have already made that change in their life. You know what I mean? They were the FLW guys that that left FLW and went into the opens. They had already made that change. Their financial set setup was based off of the industry. They didn't have a nine to five that they could they're already in that world living in that I can in fish a ton. Yeah. And still make that money. Of course they were going to love it because that eliminated this you know the crazy I think the opens were like the wild west, right? Like it was just no, no rules, no pra- practice rules, no, no off limits. None but of that. It's still that way right now, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. No, so we were, I, th- this, not to cut you off, but basically yeah. this, deb- I mean, so we had Destin Demarion on right when this got released and we talked about this exact thing. And um, you and I are definitely on the same page there. Like I've always viewed it as the top way, like, the only reason in my opinion to fish the opens in general was to make the elite series, but it was such a pipe dream to fish three. And first of all, when top three out of 200 boats in a three series event and that exactly everyone was like an experience thing, right? It's like you're almost, I almost would relate it to the, I heard Kyle Welch one time talking about gambling. And, you know, he's a professional poker player outside of turn fishing or, or always has kind of done that. And like, pretty good, good one too. He's a yeah. Really good. And like, he would go to these high level poker tables and there would be guys there that were okay with spending that money because they had the money and he was there taking their lunch. And he's like, that's just how it was. And they were okay with it. I was okay with it. But like, I know what I'm doing. I'm doing this professionally. And to me, some of that can kind of happen. Not saying that you can't be one of these guys, but to me, I've always thought you need to be fully prepared and to do it, you need to do all nine anyways. And in that way, I think it's saving guys future hardships down the road, in my opinion. 100%. And that's just, that's my thoughts on it. And it's like, you either got to dedicate your entire life and and be lined up to take that much time off anyways, um, or... Or you need to be like, hey, I'm going to be one of these regional guys, and there's and there's nothing wrong with that either, mm-hmm. you know. So I don't know. I, I'm with you on the same page there. Yeah, you got it. You definitely have to figure out how to live in the in the industry. You know, like I I personally like I travel with Brian Smith. He he's good enough. I I get a fish all the time with very good fishermen. You know, mm-hmm. everybody knows who I get to hang out with and talk with. Brian's there. He's just have to na- he has to navigate that swap. He has mm-hmm. to figure out how. Uh, qualify for the elites or whatever. He has to figure out how to actually stretch his cash till he makes it. You know, everybody realizes that when you actually make the elites, 
sponsors don't just pick up the phone and start throwing no. money. I like bags of money aren't going to hit the side of your car. You know what I mean? Like it just doesn't happen. So yeah. you have to understand how to be valuable to somebody in this industry that's going to want to keep you in it. Or you need, like I said, you're going to need a side hustle. Or, or another, another thing that it's talked about somewhat, but not in my opinion, like I talked to a guy on the tackle warehouse pro circuit. I mean, he has all expenses covered through an outside sponsor out of the industry, mm -hmm. right? Like that's non-endemic, yep. non-endemic in a very rare situation, but it's like, that's an avenue to explore. In my opinion, like that's something that if you're not like, to me, it's like side gig, inner, inner, um, not endemic, but not or endemic sponsors within the industry. I think it's very hard unless you're at that top, top tier to, make a decent amount of income on when it comes to a um, top tier guy. That's where I think some of those, those big dollars throw around, but you're non-endemic guys. You can, you can make some gains there and there's less people competing for those dollars as well um, on the sponsorship side. But like you said, I think about this too. It's like, okay, how much time you're putting into this? And I, and it's in the industry and it's all this stuff, but it's like, if you're putting this much time into building a business, like, okay, well, that business could support this entire thing we're trying to do with this bass fishing thing. So it's, it's kind of like this this debate that I think uh, you got to decide what you want to do as a person. But anyways, this is more kind of getting to, to business stuff, but I think it's a uh, good grind. place for yeah. some people to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Sukup, John Sukup says it best. He says, you want to know the easiest way to cash checks in the opens? It's so not, not needing, <laughs> not needing to cash a check. It's the needing to cash a check that adds that outside pressure I've been talking about that, you know, like um, famous, my sports psychologist guy, he talks about your brain as a gas tank. You really have okay. only so much capacity to deal with so much things in your head. The guys that get in the groove that just start winning all the time. If you ever notice that they have nothing else going on, but winning, you know what I mean? They, they, the wind blows to the left and like, yeah, I think I'll run over there and flip that train and catch a five pounder. They're because relaxed, they're, man. Look at they got nothing because he's catching them, man. Yeah. Stupid. Everything in their like in their brain is fishing. It's it's you're not giving away a percentage of your uh, you know, your mental whatever to if I need if I'm gonna pay my truck payment. So it's definitely yeah. it's definitely something we need to consider. And then as we go into this new environment coming up here pretty quick. Um, I mean, everybody knows that the opens fund the elites. That's why there's no money in the opens. So if you're going to change your lifestyle, make it so that you could fish nine to 10 events, you realize that you're probably not going to make, I mean, unless you're winning a few of them, you're probably not going to make any money in the opens. No, the opens, the coat or the Toyotas, the BFLs, those fund the higher levels. That's why there's so few, the payouts are so much lower. Um, and that's why really there's so many people. I mean, they, they're set up to just yeah. have as many boats as you can. You know, yep, hundred percent. So you need to figure out how to like manage all of that outside stuff, and I think that's really hard right now. I think, um, I think the changes to the tackle warehouse pro circuit really show what's going on. They took away a six hundred thousand dollar championship. They took away quite a bit of the payouts. Um, they took, in my opinion, if you're running a business, what it looks like to me is they took a lot of overhead operating operating costs out of that mm. out of that league. Because it is freaking expensive to run tournaments. You know what I mean? And so those changes obviously take a lot of money out of the purse for the guys that are trying to, to make it. And if they don't, if, you, if you're not making any money in those circuits, you know what I mean? It, you better find it from somewhere else. It's like I tell all my buddies, like, if you want to be a really good bass fisherman, you better be better have a degree in marketing too. figure out how to, you know what I mean? 
make money more. It's the one sport I feel like that being really good at the sport doesn't matter. I mean, unless you're like the one percenters, but even then yeah. you got to find somebody to get you there. You still got to yeah. fish a bunch of events. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you, you see the guys who have done a really good job of, of, of doing something outside a TV show, um, having a very successful YouTube channel, whatever it may be. Uh, if you're looking at that, that direct marketing side, or another thing, man, is like I, talking with, with Ken Ma, like interesting thing is like, use your skill set too. He's a very good people person and sales guy. I mean, he's figured out a way to when something like being on that side through his own self-promotion has been really, really cool to me. That's like a route that a lot of people don't think about. It's like when it's big ticket items, trucks and boats, if you are able to show your, your worth in those situations, man, that's, that's, a, that's an avenue. But um, man, I, I think it's just, it's crazy kind of to see where things are going. Um, do you feel that there is still a, I guess, two things. Number one, do you feel that there's a market for all of these different professional series and being at this kind of a thing? And then I'll have all these grassroots, like you're saying, that are funding these, these higher level items. Do you feel that that market is going to look the same if we do have a recession and this stuff kind of falls through? Or do you feel like, you know, it's still going to be that many players and all that kind of thing? No, I think it'll be tougher. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I think you change the landscape with the opens. You'll lose some guys. Um, but, but if the, the, and I'm not knocking what they're doing. Cause if the, the truth is to prepare a guy to be an elite, that's the way to do it. But I do think I mean, gas prices alone are going to, I mean, gas prices impacted me and I was prepared for the season. Right. But they really cut the way I thought about travel and flying and stuff like that. Gas prices will affect it. Um, I do feel like there's not enough professional fishing spots in the country for the people that want to be professional fishermen. I mean, mm -hmm. if you think about it, the top tier, the two tiers that are funded by all the lower tiers, you have yeah. the pros or you have the Bass Pro Tour and you have the elites. You're talking about not even 200 anglers that are at the top of a sport that's, you know, I don't know how many bass fishermen in there are in this country, competitive bass fishermen, but 200 isn't 1%. You know what I mean? So I feel like there's more room. That's why the, I feel like the MPFL has been successful because it fits a niche of guys that want to fish high level tournaments and travel and, you know, fish for 50 grand every other week or whatever. Um, but you know, the, the, the those two other avenues are full or hard to get into. So they, that's one thing that would make the MPFL valuable. So, yeah, the thing about the MPFL that I like that is different than like the opens is that I could learn how to fish on the East coast with the opportunities to make some money. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Last year, had a great year, made a you know made enough money to make the year look right. Um, but if yeah. you next year you're going to jump in the opens, you need to figure out how to bridge that gap. So a guy like Bryant Smith, who is always in the top ten in the MPFL, could actually make a living fishing on the road in the MPFL. Um, if he goes to the opens, he has to figure out how to make money now. He has to figure out how to make his mortgage or whatever because uh, the opens are definitely not going to have the same payout. So it's those gaps are things that people are going to have to to solve to move on. Well, and, but so the reason, I guess, more of the road that I want to go down with that. So you're, and I, I think I'm going to disagree with you on the amount of true quote unquote, high level professionals, <laughs> um, like compared to the amount of people. So I just, it was like, okay, think of individual sports. I'm thinking of like a golf, right? 
And that's a completely different situation. There's a lot more money involved in golf, but there's 175 plus exemptions that qualify for the PGA Tour. So right. call it at what it is now. I mean, two 200 boat fields of, of high level events, right? Well, there's 80 million golfers globally, right? Like there's not True. 80 million bass fishermen. So like True. to me, it's like, I do agree that I think that if the markets can support it and people are interested in an NPFL situation where they can, I mean, had Trent Palmer on who, who's like, dude, I have no desire to be a professional angler. And he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this because I love it and I want to go fish these places and I can do six events a year, fish on a national scale. Like, like you're saying, it's that niche to that guy who maybe doesn't want to give everything up to chase mm-hmm. it. And I think that there's a niche there. Um, but I wonder like, then it's like stuff gets pulled all different directions, sponsor dollars when you have all this going on. And then, like you said, let's face it at the end of the day, you can argue all this stuff of like, well, Joe Smo is getting sponsor dollars at uh uh, BFL level saying that he's a pro out there and he's, he's approaching companies with that mindset. And then you have like your elite series guys. And it's like, they don't know what's going on, but at the end of the day, you know what? A YouTube guy can sell rods as well. He can sell all kinds of stuff. So then it's like, is it really, I, I don't know. It's just this, this kind of thing I wrestle with because it's like that top tier guys. I want, what I want is I want the top, top tier guys to be able to not worry about finances. And that's not the way it is right it's now. Not the way it you is, know yeah. what I mean? And so that's what I struggle with. But then it's like, how many of them are there? And does it dilute it when you keep, when you have all these other things? But you know what, man, people are willing to pay it. I mean, people are willing to pay to go fish a Toyota series division, uh, the Bassmaster opens. Like you said, some of that stuff's changing, but it's, it's an interesting deal to me on how many, um, how many bass fishermen are out there that that are all in and i love it and that's what i love about this sport but it's like how many can we support quote unquote professionally if we want it to be a professional event a level where you're not having to worry about your finances yeah and that's the question too right like if you did make the elites it's like we said money doesn't get thrown at you right no it's like the dip the difference is that you might have 175 pga tour players right? Mm-hmm. They're qualified for PGA. But a lot of the guys at the lower levels, the guys that make the open and stuff like that, still the only thing they do is golf. Most of them aren't That's true. selling boats on the weekend. You know what I mean? Like, oh, they're, yeah. they're just golfers. There's a lot. Obviously, there's a ton more money in that sport. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I agree. But with they, you. There, we yeah, have you might have a guy on a lower. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, no, I agree with what you're saying, too, because there might be a guy in a, you know, whatever the different tours are in golf that's doing okay at that lower level financially. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then we just don't have that. Yeah. It's like you have to either be all in or have a side gig, but then you're taken away from your hours on the water, you know? So it's, yeah, it's a struggle, man. But um, one thing I did want to talk about, I know we're going all kinds of like, I feel like I'm ranting way too much. Normally I get people on the show to talk and not have me talk. But one thing I did want to talk about from your perspective with Alpha Angler, what are you doing now or what do you see industry-wise if there is kind of this looming recession? And it's so frustrating because I hate the negativity around this stuff. I'm someone who's always trying to be positive. But like, what do you do in that case? Like you you mentioned, marketing dollars get cut in every every business. But what do you kind of... do you have any concerns? Have you been through, because you started Alpha Angler after the major recession last time, right? It wasn't during mm-hmm. that 2008 window. Yeah, I actually worked at Buck Knives during the 08 recession, which was caused by the housing market. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, I don't think that making money a little bit more expensive and having what, you know, whatever the recessive type nature is a bad thing because I feel like our industry was kind of uh, painful anyway. Right. You know, you couldn't get boats, you can't get motors. I mean, we're still dealing with a lot of stuff like that that has a negative effect on the actual manufacturers. You know, sure. I know a few boat dealers that couldn't get enough boats to actually keep the lights on last year. You know, if you have every, if everything you have, you can sell, but you can't get enough to sell it. You can't make any money, right? They couldn't get things to make the money. So we do need the industry to shift so that it comes a little bit back more to normal where you can, where, you know, things aren't, you're not losing employees because you're burning them out. You're able to sell the things at the right prices. Alpha angler luck for me, not luckily, luck, but um, we're so small. Like it's um, we're still, we're, we're kind of close to home and then we haven't stepped into retail. So uh, if retail goes one way or the other, we're, we're not going to be impacted by that, mm-hmm. but it does mean you get to work harder. You know what I mean? I think we all are going to have to redefine what we're doing in the industry where, what people really want. Like I really want to know what customers need next, create it, make sure that they get what they need you know what I mean? Like uh, push into the kayak market a little bit, see where we're missing it there. You know what I mean? We, we make rods that think like Brandon can win the AOY, uh, AOY on our rods, but you keep going. Like what, what is the next best thing? And, and like um, it's, it's trying to be a tournament in, uh, angler in the middle of it, making sure that we manage all of the other expectations. Cause I can easily be gone fishing tournaments and not tending to the business. Right. You're going to make yeah. changes like that as well. Luckily, yeah. I've, my dad is my GM. He's a genius. Takes care of a lot of that stuff while I gallivant around and cause trouble. But, <clears throat> but I don't. I do think a lot of industry will of the industry will right size. I think we'll feel it as anglers. I think we'll. Uh, I, I don't think it's a bad thing though. I, I don't but, know how we can sustain hundred and twenty thousand dollar boats. You know. No. Well, and I mean, I just. I mean, the whole point of it, right? I mean, the whole point of interest rates going up is the Fed is, is simply trying to stop us from spending as much because of this inflationary cycle. And it's like, you know, I think about it. You, It's interesting when you start to think about how it affects you outside of stuff, but it's like you go to the grocery store and it's like, dude, that was way more than it was the last yeah. time. And you start seeing those little things. And then, you know, it's like, okay, you know, it, to your business sake, it's like, do I need that extra rod I was thinking about? But <laughs> I will say this that I think what's cool about this industry and the fishing industry and and outdoor industry in general is people are so passionate about this stuff that I don't think it is as affected it as other things, right? Like people are always like guys like this. I mean, you know, we, we do this because we love it. It's not because we make money. We know that that's very clear. So like, to me, the good news with that is yes, decisions get affected during recessionary times and as stuff comes down but like the good news you're in the business jake of like people love it so much that that it's not it's a it's a luxury item that people are not willing to necessarily get get away from during tough times in my opinion yeah i 100 percent agree I, I remember talking to sook up and he's like when he said one time he goes even even when my family was bankrupt as a kid we still went fishing yeah. You know what I mean? And all of this stuff that we're talking about, like the, you're talking about you and I are having a conversation between two people that are actually in, this, in the industry because we love it. So people from the outside watching are going, well, you know, are, are we really griping? We're not griping, but we're talking about this situation that is part of our sport now. 
where it's really expensive to do what we love. But you're you're right. When people say I'm a tournament bass fisherman or I'm a bass fisherman, they dive straight head head, head first. And I know so many guys that all they want to do is be have to be part of this industry, what, whatever it is, if, even if it's selling boats or pouring baits or whatever, they want to be part of the industry because they love it so much. I'm that guy. I quit my corporate level job because I love fishing tournaments. I liked that whole world. So whatever it takes to be in it, you know what I mean? We're, we're going to keep doing it. That's what I love. I love yeah. it, it, a couple of days ago, uh, a friend of mine and I talked for half an hour about hook, a hook, not hooks. Yeah. Uh-huh. one specific oh yeah you right know, like why tangent. does that hook why does that hook work in this particular scenario and i think when it was over my wife was like you guys are on drugs like what <laughs> how is that interesting to you i think that's what's awesome about the sport i could get on uh the phone and talk to somebody about a topwater rod for two hours you know what i mean that's it's the cool part of it it's just the staying in it and i think there's a lot of questions in going into next year i think that it, there are good questions you know people should know that uh especially I wish somebody would have kind of told me a little bit more about like, this is going to be a grind and it's going to, you're, you could make a decision. Like I could make a decision where maybe I don't put as much money in my kid's college fund. You know what I mean? Like those yeah. are the decisions that people are making to follow real this life. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was with a buddy who lost his job, said, I'm not coming back to work because he wanted to stay at the tournament. We were at like people are wow. head over heels for this sport. That's cool. Love it. Oh but Yeah. It is a tough sport right now. The money is spread wide. Uh, you take a little bit of a recession and take some of that money out of the retailers and the and the sponsors, and it, and it starts to decline. Those are things that we're going to have to weather as we move forward, especially as an industry. Yeah, yeah, man. I think that's that's real wise, and you are you are dead on with how guys are with this, man. <laughs> There's a lot of guys that are willing to go real broke to chase it, and I'm all yeah. for it, man. And, and as long as you're not getting, being supporting supporting a family and that kind of a thing like man go go get it um and i just so many so many questions but just on a on a personal level now you've got the apex to the side between qualified for the apex closer Mm -hmm. to home not close to home but closer to home um and then you have the npfl you have the opens i mean what what uh i know you kind of talked off air you're you're going through some things but like what is your what is your initial thought process right now? And then I just want to hear coming off of this season and where we're at. What 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 are you weighing with your decision? Like what are what are kind of some of the factors that are going into it? I'm trying to weigh how to not stink so bad. <laughs> that's me, man. That's, that's no, me every time I go fishing. Uh, um, it's funny because you look at the year and you're like, yeah, you qualified for Apex and those things are cool. And and I love MPFL. I, I feel like they have provided a platform that you could actually survive at the top level, traveling around, make, you know what I mean? And I, I think what they're doing for the sport's amazing. I think what they've offered is a definitely a niche that needed to be filled. I watch so I'd love to do, I'd love to fish for them next year. I'd love to do apex. There's a lot of scheduling that hasn't um, mm. kind of come out um, for, for my company being at the classic is is awesome. So I have to be at the classic. So there's a lot of schedules that you have to kind of work out and, and then qualifying for that West coast shootout. That's something I really want to be at. That's going to be the first of its kind. It's going to have an expo in California, bass fishing expo in California tied to a high payout tournament. So it's coming down to schedules, but a lot of it too. um, It's just kind of like processing the season. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I still got a couple events left. 
just making sure that you don't get too negative because it is a grind. Like the guys that you, how many guys have you looked at or watched on the sport that you're like, man, that poor dude is taking it on the chin, losing it. You know, he's just having a tough year. And then a couple of years later, he just goes on a streak and he's the man. He endured, right? He made it. So, I mean, look at yeah. fighter. How many guys have, have said like, I'm done. Like I am going to quit. And then like their breakout seasons that next year. Or yeah. Whatever. Oh, who was it that, that walk? He walked away from the FLW, went home, sold everything. They talked him into coming back the next year. He won the Forestwood Cup. I can't remember his name. He's a hammer. But you know what I mean? But that's I mean, the Spencer Shuffield had a, had a story that was similar to that. And right now, I mean, he's yeah. on top of the world. You know what Dude, I mean? Um, absolute. He's a role model to look up to in the sport. He's really good. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's making sure that you're capable of, of processing all of that stuff. And and uh, for me, it's like, you know, this is a long year. It's going to be a year of a lot of changes because of the economy and things we're going through. And just making sure that next year when we come out of it, we're still we still love the sport and I'm still married. You know, <laughs> that's that's a factor. That's a factor, Jake. <laughs> I, I don't think I hope that we haven't got there yet. I have two little girls. I have this one. Like for me, like outside weight, like I talk about, I, I really come back to that. The outside weight takes away that focus, that ability to be open-minded. Uh, but I have two little girls. They're in sports. They're in school. And uh, I found myself like leaving pre-practice a day early. You know, th- those types of things are stacking up. And it's probably because I took a really aggressive schedule this year. So maybe probably weighing that out a little bit for next year will help. Like, can I be a, a little, you know, I can't be gone for two weeks every time I leave the house. You know, I, I miss too much. So, mm-hmm. and that's something that like some of my competitors aren't dealing with, but it doesn't matter. You gotta, you gotta put your head down and deal with it, plan for it. For sure, man. For sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I dig it, man. Um, sorry for the folks. This was more of a, a loosely structured show. I think it was great, great discussion though. I mean, we're talking about some serious things right now that's happening and uh, you're in the middle of it. So coming from the source and um, to wrap things up, man, first of all, for those of you who don't know, and he's just got a little boomer here, but Jake Boomer with uh, Alpha Angler Rods as well as MPFL Angler and all his other things. So check his stuff out wherever you go. He's got makes fantastic rods. I've got four of them and uh, I love them. And with that, Jake, top three biggest. This was a long time ago. I don't know if we even did this with you. Largemouth, smallmouth, spotted bass, where you were when you caught them and what you caught them uh largest uh large mouth biggest large mouth largest large mouth sounds dumb <laughs> um uh columbia river 903 biggest small mouth i think was Coeur d'Alene lake which uh you're heading to soon and that was a yeah, 603 man. okay and i think that i think that that could be broken this year i weighed 24 pounds on Coeur d'Alene in a qualifier this year and I didn't weigh any of the big ones. And I think one of them, because I had 24 pounds and five, and one of them might have been like bigger than my biggest. I never weighed it. I just threw them in the bag and weighed them like a bonehead. And then spots, I don't think I've caught them bigger than a four pound spot, but it would definitely okay. be Shasta. Yeah. Cool, man. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, those are studs. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Jake, man, I appreciate you taking the time out and talking all this stuff and just what's, what's going through your mind. I think this is, uh, the goal of the show is to bring forward some of this stuff in this industry. And I think we really accomplished that tonight. And uh, thanks for, for walking us through. Like you said, you don't really want to talk about a bad season, but I appreciate you bringing <laughs> up some of that yeah. stuff and being such an open book and um, can't wait to, uh, to see you up your way. If you end up 
uh, around around Coeur d'Alene, that kind of a thing. We'll have to uh, catch you up. And then if not, man, I'll be at the Classic and all that sort of a thing too. So we'll catch cool. you up. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me on. I hope this wasn't a bore factor forever for your you're listening i don't think so at all man if anything i was the one that was overdoing it so we're all good man you have a good rest of your night and i uh certainly appreciate you coming on and taking yeah. time out yeah see you. well that was an awesome show hope you guys enjoyed it if you can and your app allows it please leave us a rating and review it really helps us get seen more which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.